Romans chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the pit deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. For what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with mouth confession is unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whoso on him shall not be ashamed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Out of the message this morning, a misdirected zeal. Misdirected zeal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege you have to open your precious word. Lord, I pray as we look into the word of God today that we uh, examine ourselves in the light of the word of truth. I pray, Father, that you help us not to succumb to the falling away of many uh, who have been caught up in a misdirected zeal, have a zeal of God, but that without knowledge, even as the children of Israel did and, and do to this day. So, Lord, just help us, uh, give us wisdom, understanding into thy truth, and, Lord, assurance of life everlasting through our Lord Jesus Christ repentance and faith in him. We'll thank you and praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the word zeal means excitement of mind, ardor, fervent of spirit. It's ardor in embracing or pursuing or defending anything. You know, zeal is a good thing if it's properly directed. But zeal, of course, like anything else, must be under the control of the Spirit of God or it will cause damage to the work of God. You know, zeal can be a hindrance or a help. A hindrance or a help. You know, there are many today in independent Baptist churches who have great zeal. I remember talking to a pastor friend one time and he was talking about how he used to go to pastor school and how... At, at, I was going to say Howells, Indiana. First Baptist in, in Hammond, Indiana. And he said, uh, <clears throat> they'd have you witnessing the trees. Thought, That's wonderful. That's exciting. They do sort of have a zeal for soul winning. But it's misdirected. And it has caused great damage. As we see here in our passage, we see... Well, notice, first of all, you have several things. 
first of all, a misdirected zeal. In verse 2 it says, For I bear them records, of course speaking about the children of Israel, that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. You know, what were the Jews seeking after? What was it they sought to establish? What was their aim or purpose? As you're thinking or applying it to Paul's day and then Paul's writing. We'll go to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. In verse 1. Matthew 23 and verse 1 says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to the disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit at Moses' seat. Therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they do, or for they say, and do not. For they bind heavy burdens, and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do... Notice this phrase, for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries, which were like plaques they wore on their clothes, phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Be ye not called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father, Upon the earth. To call a Catholic priest a father is an insult to God. It's an insult. Call no man your father. And that's not talking about your dad. It's talking about a spiritual father. Don't call me father. Um, Or any man. Anyway. For one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters. For one is your master even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. He that shall humble himself shall be exalted. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, for ye pretense make long prayers. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. So what was it the Jews were seeking after? What were they trying to establish? Well, the Jewish people in the New Testament times were more interested in building themselves a kingdom or an empire than the true worship of God. They were more interested in retaining their power over the common people, the scribes and the Pharisees. They were more interested in a Jewish state than the kingdom of God. They were more interested in, than be, of, of being seen of men. You know, they had a zeal with all this. Exhibit A, Saul of Tarsus. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Acts chapter 8, verse 3, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. Galatians 1.14, Paul said, And profited the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. You see, to him, the Christians threatened the power and rule of the Jewish leaders. 
They were a threat. Because if people converted to, to Christ, they'd leave. Temple. Temple worship. They wouldn't go there anymore. And the religious authorities would lose all their control. You know, that's what false religion is all about. It's control. The Catholic Church is all about control. Islam is all about control. That's why they persecute those that disagree with them. It's all about control. <clears throat> Sad to say, there are many independent Baptists who are more interested in building their ch church, quote unquote, than preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this, and don't don't misquote what I'm saying. Church is important, but John the Baptist, nor Jesus, or any New Testament preacher preach church building. but the gospel of the kingdom. You know, the mantra, or the phrase I've, I've seen over and over in the soul of the Lord, which I don't get anymore, which I really don't care, but is building and battling. That was the thing you'd see. Building and battling. Their emphasis on is building churches. Building great churches. What is a great church? That'd be a good good question. Does it mean you have to have five hundred plus members in a hundred acre campus? Is that what makes a great church? You know, when they're talking about building great churches. Of course, they're talking about the house type churches. But you know, the Bible talks about the preaching of the kingdom of God. For, for example, go to Matthew, <clears throat> go down a rabbit trail here. But Matthew chapter 3, the first New Testament preacher comes on the scene. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of the church is at hand. Hmm. No, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Chapter 4 Verse 17, for that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you'll read this over and over throughout the New Testament. And, for example, Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first kingdom of, the kingdom of God. Not the church of God, the kingdom of God. Chapter 19, verse 24. Chapter 19, verse 24. <clears throat> It says, again, I say unto you, it is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into, it doesn't say church, it says into the kingdom of God. Into the kingdom of God. Chapter 21, verse 31, again, whether of them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him, the first. Jesus saith unto them, verily I say unto you, that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. And you'll find this even through the book of Acts. And the last thing we hear of Paul in the book of Acts, one of the last things we hear about him is in Acts 28, 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the church, the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Now, Paul did start churches. But he was preaching the kingdom of God. 
Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so, so keep, to hold on. You know, the kingdom of God, of course, is spiritual, and it is universal. Everybody that's saved is in the kingdom of God. Salvation puts us into the kingdom of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 and 14, through 14 says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath, had us, hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and translated us in the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. So salvation puts us into the kingdom of God. We're born again. The church is local and visible and is entered by baptism. It's entered by baptism, not salvation. Churches exist for the purpose of preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That's our message. The gospel of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about the millennial reign of Christ. I'm talking about the spiritual kingdom of Christ, which will come become visible during the millennial reign of Christ. It's the same kingdom. just has different aspects to it. The gospel, again, the gospel is not for the purpose of building churches, but the churches are simply an organism from which the truth of the gospel is disseminated. It is the organism that Christ has ordained to be witnesses for him. But it is not an end in itself. For example, <clears throat> we traveled to Taiwan, we used airplanes. And airplanes played a very important part of the trip to Taiwan. But that was not the focal point or the purpose of our trip to Taiwan. You know, the church is very important in the gospel of the kingdom. But when it becomes the primary focus, we have lost sight of our purpose. We become empire builders. Empire builders. Quote, unquote. Campus builders. The purpose and plan for churches is just like families. Your families grow. You have children. They grow. What happens then? Eventually. Those children grow up and they become adults. And they get married and then they start their own family. They branch out. You know, what has happened many times in a lot of independent Baptist churches is they grow and grow and grow, and they want to keep everybody on that same location and bus them in. That's not what they did in New Testament times. When they got to a certain place and growth, you know what they did? They splintered. Now, not because of division, but because they wanted to start another church in another area so the gospel of the kingdom could be preached in another town and in another town. Just like families, when the family, children, you know, I've always told my children, I don't want you to stay at home all your life. There's a couple reasons for that. But I want them to start other families, their own families. 
you know, this is what this is what Midcoast Baptist churches, they were a certain size, they could send two families off to Nevada. See, we shouldn't be about establishing or building us an empire. And I believe that mentality has brought about this a misunderstood gospel. This mentality of building a great big church it has fostered or the fruit of this, I believe, has been a misdirected or misunderstood gospel. Notice in verse 3, it says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They being ignorant. The word ignorant means not to know or lack of info or lack of intelligence. And they're going about, they're seeking after, they're desirous of, or they're endeavoring to do their own thing. See, the children of Israel wanted to create their own empire. Their own rule of law. And would not to submit to God's law. They wanted to establish their own cause, or their own force. Their own. And it is their own. You know, it's interesting, their own which one imagines in his due, opposed to awarded by God, pertains to oneself. When you say their own, it's, it pertains to oneself. And this is so prevalent. Has been. You know, there was a church in Florida, Korean Baptist Church. It's had its own issues of late, but they had a college there at one point, and they had a course it was required by every student. It was the life and times of, what would you think? No. The life and times of Jack House. They used to put out a paper, I don't know if you still do or not, and I used to get that for amusement. Either that or anger. On the, and this is the, uh, I'm not sure why I kept all this garbage, but I did. June 2002 issue, it's called The Independent Baptist Contender. And contentious they are. Anyway, on page three, this is after Jack Howes died. The title of the article was, Let This Mind Be in You. Okay, that's a quote from Philippians chapter two. The mind of Dr. Jack Howes. And this is, a, this is one paragraph from this article. Quote, three months before Jack Howes died, he seemed to have a premonition of the fact that his ministry was drawn to a close. He asked this very poignant question, quote, when I am gone, who is going to think for you guys, unquote. That's blasphemous. You see, they're going about to establish their own standard of righteousness. And this, is, this has been prevalent. And see, this is the fruit of a misdirected zeal. They're going about to establish their own empires. So, and to enable to accomplish their purpose in their church building, independent Baptists and evangelicals have been guilty of modifying or changing the gospel to facilitate church growth. Now, they will criticize guys like Bill Hybels and, and um, 
Rick Warren and all those church gurus, you know, and, and their math, but they're doing the same thing. Really isn't any different. It's just the highballs and them are more worldly on the outward appearance. And this has been done by minimizing or rejecting altogether a key component of salvation, which is repentance. Combined with a great emotional appeal with dramatic stories and illustrations. And this has permeated in the Baptists, particularly in the South. I don't say that because I'm from the north. I've heard a lot of southern preachers say that. In fact, one southern one guy said, that's the culture of independent Baptist churches in the south. You know, we call it skyscraper preaching. A good example of that was the Burlington Revival. And here's the interesting thing. You know, the Bible says that they being ignorant. I was reading some blogs yesterday, the day before, and there's this guy who's defending the sword of the Lord and Hiles methodology against Dr. David Cloud and some others. And uh, and he said that uh, um, he said that John R. Rice didn't preach that repentance was a turning from sin, and even quoted even in his article he quoted from a tract that John R. Rice wrote called. What must I do to be saved? So it had the title on, in the article of his tract. So I clicked on the, that and it went to the tract. And I read the tract. And in this tract, which this part he didn't quote, John Rice said, quote, To repent literally means to have a change of mind or spirit toward God and toward sin. It means to turn from your sins. earnestly with all your heart and trust in Jesus Christ to save you. You can see then how the man who believes in Christ and the man who repents believes in Christ. The jailer repented when he turned from sin to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, unquote. Now my question was, that when the, uh, as I thought about that and what that guy said, did, did he not read the track or is he just a liar? See, that part didn't suit his ends. And I thought it was kind of interesting as well because these house guys and Bob Gray and all these from Texas and many of these others who promote this thing, this, this teaching, say that the Philippian jailer never didn't have to repent. But John R. Rice specifically says in his tract, the jailer repented when he turned from sin to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's right. Now, Curtis Hudson, of course, mainly changed the definition of repentance when he took over the soil of the Lord after John R. Rice. And he wrote a little booklet, and he denied that repentance means to turn from sin. He denied repentance is a sorrow for sin. He denied that a change of mind leads to a change of action. He claimed that repentance is simply a change of one's mind, and that's it. He even changed the words of hymns in the soul-stirring hymnal. The old account was settled. Uh, and the old account was settled, uh, which I don't think is in our hymn book. But anyway, uh, the old account was settled. The original writing was in verse, I think it's verse 4, O sinners, seek the Lord, repent of all your sin. 
For thus he hath commanded if you would enter in. He changed it. O sinner, trust the Lord. Be cleansed of all your sin. For thus he hath provided. He also changed the lyrics in almost and give me thy heart. I'm not sure exactly what those lyrics are. The first guy that pointed that out to me was Steve Nisley. But what they do, they say they're dropping out. They, they, they drop the word repentance. They like to quote, again, these, like, these guys like to quote Charles Haddon Spurgeon. But Spurgeon said this, quote, Repentance has been well described as a heart broken for sin and from sin, and it may equally well be spoken of as a turning and returning. It is a change of mind of the most thorough and radical sort. It is attended with sorrow for the past and a resolve of amendment in the future. Repentance is to leave the sins we loved before and show that we in earnest grieve by doing so no more. Of course, John the Baptist, Jesus, all New Testament preachers preach repentance. So we saw Peter preached it, Acts 2.38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins, you, receive, you shall receive the Holy Ghost. In Acts 17.30, 17, Paul at Athens says, In the time of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Acts 20.21, 20, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 26.20, 20, he said, But she showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem, throughout all the coasts of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. That's what John the Baptist said. Do works meet for repentance. There ought to be evidence of a repentance. When he wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.25, he says, In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And of course, Peter in 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, another good example of did not repent is Hebrews 12.17. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, of course, speaking of Esau, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Oh, he was tearful over it, but he would not repent. Therefore, he was rejected. You see, repentance is a, is a prerequisite to salvation. It is a change of mind toward God and toward yourself. When you person repents, they don't look at themselves the same. They don't look at God the same. There's a change of mind which, which produces a change of direction. Change of direction. Thirdly, so there's a misunderstood, uh, misdirected gospel. There's a thirdly. There, we need to under, We must understand 
who we are trusting for salvation. I want you to notice verses 4 and verses 9. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Then verse 9 says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, if you, and again, if you go through the scriptures, particularly the book of Acts, and, and read what the preachers in the book of Acts said about Christ. For example, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, Peter says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. In chapter 5 and verse 29, he says, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. For the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted to be uh, with his right hand, to be a prince and a savior, forgive repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. So he's he's a prince or he's a lord. In Acts chapter 10, verse 36, when he's speaking uh, at Cornelius, he says, And the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. And verse 42, And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. Acts chapter 11, verse 17 again, for as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, again, speaking to the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. See, we have to understand, we need some understanding of who we are trusting for salvation. And when we're given the gospel, people need to understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And see, this is a vast difference between many and independent Baptist churches. Oh, just believe in the just believe Jesus for your to save you from your sins. It's not quite that simple. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. He is God, the God man. God manifests in the flesh. He is the I am. He is the judge. Kurt, Pastor Kurt Brandenburg, in his blog, in a <clears throat> response to an article in the Soul of the Lord by Shelton Smith back in 2011, uh, addresses this issue. Uh, in fact, Jack Howes had a booklet he wrote called Enemies of Soul Winning. And that would be us. And in part of in the first chapter of the book, he said this, quote, exactly what we do we mean when we say lordship salvation. We are talking about the false doctrine that says in order for a person to be saved, he must make Jesus the Lord of his life. If that doctrine were true, then no one could be saved because as long as we are limited by these fleshly bodies, we will be unable to make Jesus totally the Lord of our lives, unquote. And as Brother Brandenburg pointed out, <clears throat> nobody has ever said that to start with. 
nobody's ever said to be saved you have to make Jesus Lord of your life. It's a play on words. No, you accept Jesus as Lord. As Lord. Um, and Sheldon Smith made that statement. He said this. Sheldon Smith said this. Quote, Some folks teach that unless you make Jesus Lord of your life, then you are not saved. That is simply untrue. It is false teaching. Brother Brandenburg said, quote, is also something I've never heard anyone teach. It's a total straw man. He puts quotation marks around the statement, but he doesn't quote anyone because no one has said it. No one has written it. It is a position in ex- it is not it isn't a position in existence. He argues a straw man to make room for his no lordship and no repentance position. Anyone who does teach lordship teaches that you receive Jesus as lord, you don't make him lord. And anyone who does teach, lordship teaches, that if you are receiving Jesus as Lord, you are getting off the throne and letting Jesus on it. That is biblical repentance. That is believing in Jesus Christ. Um, So it's a total straw man. He also says that, uh, well, he said a lot of things, but... uh, You know, this, this again is used as an excuse not to preach repentance. You know, Jesus said, Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not things that I say? Now, the context of this verse is Christians will be known by their fruit. That's the context. He that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, uh, a person who repents bears fruit. And what Jesus is saying there is, where there is life, there is fruit. And not all is equal, but nonetheless, there is fruit. Easy believism excuses the many without fruit. It promotes gimmicks, fun attractions, to build a church without repentance, which means without being translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of your son. James Fawcett Brown, in his commentary on verse 9 of Romans 10, said this, quote, Confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that is, probably, quote, If thou shalt confess Jesus to be the Lord, or evidence of faith. faith. You know, Matthew 10, 20, 32 and 33 says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. 1 John 4.15 says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. In other words, you, you confess that Jesus is Lord. He goes on, James Brown goes on and says, quote, This confession of Christ's name, especially in times of persecution. Again, put yourself in Bible times. When Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. If you deny me, I'll deny you. He's talking about, you're talking about times of persecution or, 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 or uh, when Christian was, Christianity was abused. And this is what J. 
game Fawcett Brown is talking about, quote, this confession of Christ's name, especially in times of persecution, and whenever abuse or shame is attached to the Christian profession, is an indispensable test of discipleship, unquote. And again, that's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse uh, 3, when he says, uh, no man... Wherefore, I give you understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, to understand that verse, let's go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And we see an example of someone who by the Spirit called Jesus Lord. Matthew 16, we're also going to look at John 6, but Matthew 16, verse 15, He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, notice, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, this wasn't revealed to you by your own intelligence, the Spirit of God revealed it to you. And, and again, in John chapter 6, we see, we get a little fuller picture. Again, we're comparing Scripture with Scripture. In John chapter 6, and understand the context here, in John 6, as confessing Jesus as Lord, John 6, verse 66, you know, Jesus has just said, you, you know, it's the Spirit that quickens the flesh, profiteth nothing, and and there were many that walked, verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, Lord, see Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. See, in the face of people speaking shame, or abuse, or persecution, Peter said, you're the Lord. Thou art the Son of God. You see, when a person repents of their sin and receives the Lord Jesus Christ, they make Him Lord of their life. They accept Him as Lord. They accept Him as Lord. So he is the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand. I, I, I'm more and more convinced that many people who, who will not get active in the work of God in a church, the problem is they haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. They just want a Savior. That's all they want. He isn't divided. Sorry, he isn't divided. He's one and the same. He is the Christ. So He's Lord. He is the Christ. The anointed of God. The Messiah. The chosen one to save us from our sins. That's what Peter said. We, he, God has made Him both Lord and Christ. He is the only Savior. The only accepted sacrifice for sin. Behold, the Lamb of God. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way. 
Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He is the Christ, the anointed of God, the chosen, accepted sacrifice for our sins. So he's the Lord. He is the Christ. But he's also Jesus, the man, the God-man, that suffered as a man, was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He had a body like a man. Again, Peter in Acts chapter 2 and verses 22 through 24, he, he reiterates this to the children of Israel who had just crucified him when he said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. The only reason they could crucify him was because he was a man. But that same man has been made also both Lord and Christ. And he's still a man. Second, First Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He's still a God-man. And he is. It is he that is the end. You know, Romans... Chapter 10, he says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. He is the end. The word the end there refers to that which all things relate, the aim or the purpose. He is the end. He is the aim and purpose of the law. Galatians chapter 3 says, The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. He is the end of that. He is the end or aim of the prophet's in Luke 24, 25 through 27, speaking to those on the road to Emmaus, he said, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded in them and all the scriptures of things concerning himself. You know, he is the end or aim or purpose of the scriptures. John 5, 39, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. You see, the scriptures are the unveiling or the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our life. He is our purpose. And he will be our judge. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. And so, we see this misdirected zeal as a lack of understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. But I want you to notice a fourth thing. The fruit of this false gospel is verse 11. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. Not be ashamed. The word ashamed means to blush with shame. One is said to be put to shame who suffers a repulse, or whom some hope, of whom some hope has deceived. You know, I had the privilege to follow 
two house pastors of church. One who, you know, baptized everybody in the city, I think, or in the whole surrounding area. But if you go visit those same people, this is what they would say. I'd never go to church again. What's the problem? They're ashamed. The Bible says here, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. You don't be confounded. You don't lose hope. But these are ashamed. You know, people, people have been pumped to get professions out of it and made members of churches where there's lots of activities and attractions to keep them busy and occupied and happy with their social club. You know, they use all kinds of gimmicks. But all of a sudden, something happens that is upsetting, offensive, and disappointing, and they don't just forsake their church, but the work of God completely. In other words, they don't make things right or find another church in which to serve the Lord. They just quit altogether. Yeah, I don't find that in the Bible. When I were talking about this the other day, you know, John says in the epistles, John, was it chapter... I think it's chapter 4, somewhere he says, they went out from us because they were not all of us. You know, good question. Does that mean people have left our church all unsaved? I said, I don't think so. But I believe some were. Some went to other churches. Some are still serving the Lord. Went to other churches. I'm not saying they were right. Things haven't been good for a lot of them. But they didn't quit altogether. You know, there are some that completely have completely forsaken Christianity altogether. And all they were all really gun ho and they were here. You know what that is? That's a false profession. That's a false profession. See, the Bible says statements like this Matthew twenty four, thirteen. But he that endures shall the end, the same shall be saved. The idea is there, God's people endure. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. 2 Timothy 2, 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There are going to be problems in churches. There are problems in churches. Read James chapter 4. He says there's wars and fightings among you. Come in our hands of your own lusts. But you know what? You, a good soldier endures all that. Timothy 2.10 Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake that they also may attain 
the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, the return of glory. 2 Timothy 4, 3, the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heat to themselves teachers having itching ears. So they don't endure it anymore. James 5, 11, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender merciful. You know, those that have endured the hardships, you know what I find? They're happy. Those that have forsaken or given up are not. Revelation 3.11 The Lord said, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that fast which thou hast. Let no man take thy crown. You know, what I find is God's people, when there's a problem and they need to leave a church, you know what they do? They find another one in which they can serve the Lord in giving out the gospel of the kingdom because they still want to be involved in the work of the kingdom of God. See, it's not about us. It's about him. It's about him. He loves us. He desires that we be faithful in giving out the gospel. He desires that we grow. But grow so that we, not so we can build an empire, but so that we can branch out. So that we can reproduce ourselves. So, you know, we need to have zeal. Zeal is a good thing. But it needs to be according to the knowledge of God. We understand the gospel. Understand who we are trusting, who are we are witnessing of. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to receive him as the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? And we need to be faithful in witnessing to others of our Lord Jesus Christ. So they too can be translated into the kingdom here's your son. And then become active in the work of the kingdom through his church which he's raised up to preach the gospel.